The world needs your leadership. More importantly, the world needs your humanized leadership. You must create trust. You must clearly communicate. You must coach powerfully and customize every step of the way to the various types of people that you are privileged to lead. This leader, the humanized leader, is ever aware that other humans execute the processes which drive the profits, and people are always at the center. The world needs your leadership, and the world needs it now. Welcome to Tractionville, the podcast for companies running on EOS. I'm your host, Chris White, along with my co-host, Benj Miller. And uh, folks, we've got, we've been waiting and anticipating for this podcast today. Um, We've got the wonderful Mary Pat Knight with us. And if you don't know who she is, you're about to get the the quick download. Um, She is just a, a moving force when it comes to the humanization of businesses. And we're going to go deep there, trust me. But uh, Mary Pat is the CEO of Leaders Inspired, and she just released her first book, The Humanized Leader. Mary Pat, welcome to Traction Bill. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. There's so many directions. I'm going to try not to be a visionary here and go crazy, <laughs> okay? But why don't we kick things off? And, and and Mary Pat, tell us what you do. What a great kickoff. All right. As the as the CEO of Leaders Inspired, I run the shebang. So I'm visionary and integrator. So I have fun being a little schizophrenic in both roles. And any of our listeners who are in that uh, position know what I'm talking about. Um, however, what I really do is I like to work with entrepreneurially founded companies where the entrepreneur is still in the business and our family uh, run businesses, which means 60% of the groups that I work with are run on EOS, which makes it easier for a common language. What I do is I go in and I help them deal with their people issues. So invariably, when you're putting an operating system in your business and you're making decisions to grow your business, you end up with all kinds of people issues. You guys know what I'm talking about. And so um, I go in uh, through a, a leadership training program and or executive coaching to help normalize what happens in their business from a human perspective, help them get the language that they need to have the kind of conversations that they need to have and to lead really wholeheartedly matching head and heart to operate their business in a very humanized way. Hmm. How did you come to be such the uh, figurehead for this movement how did how did you learn this or, or does it come natural to you and you have a knack for teaching us tell, tell uh, us how this came to be so i but this i'm not going to give you the whole story but i'll tell you my very first career and where i dedicated my life from the age of 12 is i was going to be a broadway star so i had a early theater background so here's what i the part of the story that i think is uh, appropriate to this you cannot be a good actor on stage unless you come to love the human condition You have to study it, love it, and then bring it to life on stage. So from a very early age, I was so curious and so interested in what makes people tick. Um, So I guess it just came by naturally. So when I migrated into business, what I found myself is super curious about people and business, but the people aspect of it was most important to me. So it's kind of school of of hard knock school of learning is that over a 30 year career, my, I feel that my life has been dedicated not only to building business, but to making sure that I build the humans inside 
the business. So it's, it's a practice. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. Right. And so what, when it, when you walk into a company, what are you, take us inside your mind. You, you may not ever tell a client this, but what are you looking at? What are you looking for? Well, you're going to let me tell your, tell uh, the, the folks here what I'm looking for, right? Okay, get ready, yeah. everybody. We need the inside all, scoop. We're all jacked up on the inside. I'm looking for a couple of different things. I'm looking for um, a founder or a leader in the business who says, uh, I'm willing to have help because I may have hit the ceiling of what I'm capable of doing for this team right now. And I'd like to learn more and I'd like to make my team more capable. So that's the outset. There's usually some pain involved. Um, Generally what I'm looking for is, are you holding on to employees that have been with you a very long time that actually don't suit your business anymore and are struggling to have those kinds of conversations, which can be quite loving conversations, and they're hard. I'm looking to see how much attention you're paying to your bottom players versus your top players and helping to try to try to get people more focused on on the top uh, on the top uh, 10 to 20 percent because that's where you want to go to. Um, and I'm looking for a team that's willing to grow but has some dysfunction. So the biggest thing I look for, so if I could put it into a nutshell is where's the drama? And then how do we convert that drama into functional leadership? Is there a consistent type of drama that you see or three buckets of drama that you see that we could all fit into? Yeah, yeah. A key part of my learning, the key part of the uh, development that I do is around the drama triangle, uh, villain, victim, and hero. And so I see that interplay all the time. So someone, so say you go into a family business and one of the brothers in the family business is always picking on another brother in the family business because they forgot they're not 12 years old anymore. They're actually 45 years old, but they're still picking on the little brother the way they used to when they were 12 and so the little brother gets shoved into this victim position it keeps fighting back with the villainous older brother and then you've got the third brother who wants to swoop in and save the day so he keeps the drama going between the two of them that's a kind of thing um, that i see a second thing that i see that that um actually is really present right now in the work that i'm doing is what i call i don't know how else to describe it it's the coven of victims It's that team of people who have um, one or two people who have a chronic complaint about the boss or the company who begin to attract other people who want to complain with them. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't nip that in the bud right away, and you can do it through really good leadership coaching, if you don't nip that bud right in the way, you end up with fractures in your company that take, you know, months and years to repair. Is that, you said you're seeing it now, is that a generational thing? Gosh, you know what? I don't really like to go there, Bench, because um, I, I work with a lot of multi-generational companies. And what I'm hearing from my millennials right now is I'm really sick and tired of being called a millennial and having a label on that for some sort of performance pattern. Um, and so I, I kind of hesitate to go there. I don't think it's necessarily generational. Um, I think it has more to do with... Um, I, I don't know. May, and again, I'm not going politics on you. So trust me, we're not going nuclear on politics. But, you know, one of the reasons I think the book is so important um, is because the leadership that we have been living has become very polarized. And so there's a lot to complain about, whether whatever it is you're complaining about. So it's really easy to get into patterns of complaining and blaming. Yeah. 
yeah, if you're prone to complaining, there's something for everybody right now. Right, right. Well, and I imagine, you know, like, look, it, it, you, you get, we used to, you know, you get one cancer in the business and it spreads, right? And, and you have this group of complainers. How do you, how do you move them out of that mindset? Um, it actually takes persistence and sometimes you want to give up because it does it from time to time seem kind of hopeless. It is not, you need to get one or two of them to actually see the light, one or two, and then the migration starts out of the victim pattern. And that actually happens, the, the work that I do with my clients is I take them through the triangle and then I take them through the transformation out of the triangle. And the transformation really is instilling in them very particular coaching skills with very particular open-ended questions that support someone who's in a victim pattern to see what else is possible. Mm. Yeah. I mean, because they legitimately could be a victim. Yeah. And so, you know what, that's a very different conversation. So yeah. someone, you know, oh, and then what I would say to that, so I'll probably be a little controversial here, you know, say you have been victimized, okay? So say, you know, your house was foreclosed on and or something horrible happened right. to you, okay? And you are a victim of a circumstance per se, so, you know, we want to have heart and soul and compassion for people who are in those positions. However, it doesn't serve them for us to constantly reinforce the view that they, they get to live the rest of their life as a victim. So what I would say is being, you know, all of us have been victims of something in our life. Do we perpetually hold a victim point of view around that? Or are we permitted to say, Stuff happens. I was going to say the S-H-I-T word. Stuff happens. All right. Stuff happens. You can say shit. It's okay. All right. You say it. Okay. Stuff happens and that sucks. And it really impacted my life in a way that could have been horrible. Do I have to live a horrible life the rest of my life? So I think the way out, even if you have been a legitimate victim of a circumstance, is how do you hold it for the future of your life? Today's episode is sponsored by Keystone Search. CEOs, owners, and visionaries, having the right integrator can literally create rocket fuel for your business. Hiring the wrong one is expensive and can even damage the business you've worked so hard to build. The team at Keystone Search is expert at helping visionaries hire their ideal integrator. Keystone has conducted successful integrator searches across the country, and they are proud to say when EOS Worldwide needed a new integrator in 2016, Keystone was the firm of choice. If hiring a rockstar integrator is in your future, go to www.keystonesearch.com to download more information or give them a call. Keystone Search is here to help you. So I've got a couple employees that are coming to mind that actually uh, fit in or live in this kind of victim mentality. Mm -hmm. And as a leader, it's been one of, I, I literally am in that place where it feels hopeless. It, it literally like, I don't know what I could say or do to help them make that transition. And part of it um, is I get frustrated because it's so foreign to me. Like, I don't know that I've felt like a victim more than one day in my life. Mm -hmm. It's just not in my wiring. Uh, but it's very real for them. And there's a pattern there of maybe they were victimized, right? And then the pattern becomes a, a mindset. So just coach me right now. What do I do? 
Well, the first thing I would want to do is your own individual work, which is to ask if you are um, feeling like you need to villainize them, punish them, or blame them, or are you all, and this may not be true, or are you on the other part of the, of the triangle where you are trying to rescue them or save them or fix mm. them in some way? Yeah. Because if you are in a hero pattern, you're perpetuating the victim stance. So wow. that's just something for you to internally know about yourself. Yeah. So what I would say is unplug from hero, just unplug from hero. And then um, what you want to do is go into the leader coach aspect of this. You want to catalyze a change. And in catalyzing a change, you would work with either one or two or all of the victims who are in your, in your conclave there and begin to help them create a different story. So yeah. if you couldn't if you couldn't complain about this, I know that sounds that sounds you know. But if you couldn't no, complain no, about this, the narrative, yeah. What would, what would you do? You know, if you could tell a different story, if you could fix this problem, if you could be powerful here, what would you be doing or saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so helpful. Mm. Can we go back to you said we should be focusing as leaders on our top ten or twenty percent? Can you go into that a little bit? All right. So think about yourselves in your own businesses. All right. And in any of the businesses, the many businesses that you've run, sold and profited from. So which I know have been many for both of you. So think about the businesses that you're in. If you were really assessing where you were spending your attention as in terms of people or maybe even aspects of your business, but in terms of people, how much of your energy have you been spending on the underperformers? And if you were honest, it's probably better than 50%. So it's not a good investment. So what happens is, say you have, let's just do 10-80-10 as your spectrum. 10% are underperformers. 80% are sitting in the middle and 10% are superstars. And you're spending 50% or better. And then if you're honest, sometimes it's 80% or better on those bottom 10% thinking you can reform them or change them right. or coach them into performance when maybe you can't. Maybe that's, you know, when you, when you really talk about getting someone in the right seat, maybe that's, that's, these are people that are not in the right seat and maybe not even in the right company. Now, I know that sounds harsh, but what happens if, if you're spending all of your time down there and not on the upper uh, 10%, you're 80% in the middle are watching your drama. They're watching where you're putting your focus and they have an invitation to also underperform. If you focus on the top 10% and say, that's what, that's what success looks like. That's our North Star. That's where we're going. Of course, they get perks. Of course, they get extras. They are contributing mightily to my business. That middle 80% is going to become um, more seesawing towards your upper 10%. Is, if, if we're spending the majority of our time, you know, too deep, I, I assume that would also result in losing your high performers. Well, then, and thank you for bringing that into the equation, because that's indeed what happens if, you know, your top 10% are really performing and you are spending no energy appreciating them, no energy paying attention to them. Those people are top performing because they're self-motivated. They're likely also to be motivated for recognition. And if you're not giving it to them, then yeah, they're going to go someplace else and take their beautiful talents elsewhere. So Mary Pat, take us into your book, The Humanized Leader, Tell us, give us the synopsis. The humanized leader is a byproduct of the work that I've been doing for the last 20 years. So um, originally called leadership mastery, it's the mastery of emotionally intelligent leadership. Um, this, this book actually encapsulated the work 
the encapsulates the work that I've been doing with my clients. What it begins and ends with is that leadership, contrary to what all of us as you know solid business leaders might think, really is a heart thing. So the humanized leader is, is an encapsulation of the work that I've been doing for the last, like say, 20 years. And what it does is it takes you through four phases of the development of emotionally intelligent and humanized leadership. And so the, the first phase is uh, emotional leadership. And the reason I start there is that all human beings have emotions and we generally deny that when we're in a workplace. And the fact of the matter is a lot of the problems start because emotions are not managed. So we look at the comfort zone and we look at um, triggers and we look at the drama triangle and what to do to transform. And then from there, we start to build skill because the next level, once you have the emotions in check, you can actually begin to build your communication leadership. And what I found with my teams is people, you know, they're not really good with direct conversations a lot of times. And feedback comes is very unnatural for people. So in the communication leadership, we really take a look at um, the art and heart of listening having um, difficult conversations, how to provide feedback, how to receive feedback. And then from there, you can level set up to how do you manage performance? So one of the reasons I love my EOS companies is they already, they have this, they have this going on, like performance process, they've got it going on. But in the performance management, what is elusive to a lot of people is accountability because they actually think that they need to make people accountable rather than creating the culture where accountability is desired. Mm -hmm. So we work on performance leadership and that is about making agreements and building a culture of accountability and telling the truth and telling people when you stop telling the truth, clearing the air when the baggage gets, um, when the baggage piles up. And then finally we go into genius leadership. And I have to tell you the genius leadership is strongly influenced uh, by Dan Sullivan and Gay Hendricks. It's really strongly influenced because they both take a different take on this. But we take a look at um, how do you find out what your secret sauce is, which is one of the things I love about your book, The Clarity Field Guide. The, one of the reasons I love that about your book is that you actually, you actually do that. You, you create clarifying questions that say, what's your secret power? And then how do you use it in your business? So we're jiving in the same way on that because I'm asking you personally from a leadership perspective, what's your superpower and what is your team's superpower and how do you elevate that into magnificent performance? And I would imagine in these four leadership steps, do they have, they have to go in order? No. Okay. Because no. I, was, I was like thinking, you know, emotional leadership's one and that's probably one of the hardest ones. And I was wondering, gosh, can I, can I skip around? You can. Let me tell you, the, when you put emotional leadership on the back end, there might be a reason for that because you just might not be ready for it yet. And it's okay. I mean, you just, we're all wired differently. If someone is wired to be highly analytical, they may, they may not want to buy into this yet. They may not, you know, they just may not want to. And yeah. it's okay. I will tell you that when you're trying to connect with people from a listening perspective, when you're trying to offer feedback, when you're trying to elicit performance, you do have a secret weapon when you've done the emotional leadership work of it. You know, you have a secret weapon because you're able to create connection and become relatable very quickly. But you can skip around all you want. If you want to work on your genius first, go there first. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what stands out is like everybody wants to work on their own genius, right? Like that's uh, that's our whole goal is like, can we get to the place where we only have to deal with our own genius? <laughs> everybody else can deal with our madness. Um, but uh, I let me play devil's advocate because yes. whether it's me or not, well, you know, let me ask this for a friend. Yeah. Some people are going to have a reaction that I get how the listening and the emotions are important, but I just don't have time for that. 
well, then you're going to make time for top performers leaving. You're going to make time for um, under under underwhelming results in your business because your people are not feeling connected with. Um, so that's the stuff you might, or you might make time for someone who is not respected in the workplace and they go to the Department of Human Rights. I mean, there's, you may be faced with people who are not related to as human beings and they start a union. I mean, I know I'm overstating it, but I, yeah. I think for you to, for, for, for your friend to say, yeah. I don't have time for this, um, I would really encourage you to make time for it and don't think of it as some soft woo-woo thing. It's the hardest work you will do. Anyone who's been through, I mean, I know a lot of people who are listening, anyone who's been through like a landmark type program or a pathways type program or Tony Robbins or any of, you know, you got to know that they disguise it in other language, but what do they deal with first? They deal with emotions. They deal with emotional life first. Yeah. Let me, let me take it a step further. Cause okay. I think there's for your friend. For, for my friend. friend. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's texting me right now. Um, <laughs> is there any fear of people abusing a system where a boss and maybe the leader of the company may just be a, a manager, but where, um, somebody so values like that emotion and, and how, you know, you almost become a therapist and now they're sitting in your chair for an hour. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I think that's the fear behind the, I don't have time for this. Yeah, you know what, Bench, I think you actually bring up something that's really important, which is why, you know, um, I'm going to kind of give away one of the secrets is that when I do the drama triangle where people have to vote, what am I, a villain, a victim, or a hero? And I would say 75% to 80% say I'm a hero. And that's the worst role of all, because that means you do swoop in and you do play therapist and you do try to fix things and you do rob people of their capabilities. And that is the danger. So, but I think the awareness when people say, oh, it is the worst thing. You know, I've been, you know, I, I tell a story that, you know, when you start, when you have a baby and the baby starts walking and you want to move its legs so it doesn't fall. And then they're still 30 years, they're 30 years old and you're still moving their legs. I mean, what have you taught that person? is that they're incapable and they're dependent upon you. And so the job of this is to create enough awareness to say, I want fully capable problem solvers on my team, people who think for themselves, are creative for themselves, align with my core values, get where I'm coming from, and do the thing I want them to do. And I, I do actually think that that first emotional paving, um, you know, greases the wheels for that. Yeah. There's almost a, um, you guys remember, it's a really old book, but the one minute manager meets mm -hmm. the monkey. Yeah, I that's do remember I'm, that. Yes. That's what I'm reminded of right now is like, yeah. you know, treat them with respect, you know, give them some tips, hints, whatever, but you got to go solve this monkey. That's your job. So. Well, you know, that, it, that reminds me um, of working with a client um, with Don Tinney, the co-founder of EOS and, and uh uh, he brought me in to work with a really large franchise. Um, I'll give a shout out to Shelly's son and uh, break her out of Chicago. And she tells this story. She was, um, I don't know if she was at coach or, or EO. She was at a peer group setting uh, complaining to the other CEOs about her team constantly coming in and interrupting her. And so one of the, one of the, people in the peer group actually threw her the book, the one minute manager meets the monkey. Right. And he said, you need to read this. <laughs> and, and she, and you know, it's not a, it's not a heavy lift, right? Yeah. It's like 10 pages. <laughs> so, so the cool thing, what she discovered out of that book 
was she was the problem because to your point, she was basically just trying to move all their legs. I mean, completely dependent, right? So she instituted a rule, like after she read the book, she told the peer group she had this epiphany and she came out with a new rule, one, three, one. So the next time you want to come to me with one issue, don't come into my office until you come up with three possible solutions and then I'll help you pick the right one. One, three, one, right? I love it. Isn't that great? I love it. So she really said, I'm just going to stop being a hero here. So if you were using my language, I'm not going to be a hero anymore. I'm going to be the coach leader that I'm supposed to be. And I'm going to set an appropriate boundary for the best use of my time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, in terms of the emotions, I don't want to, I don't want to hammer, I, although it's like the heart of me, I don't want to hammer too much on the emotions because I actually think the, the payoff is in really understanding how to communicate. And so what I love what you just shared about that story is she, she, she set a boundary and she communicated what the rules and the expectations were and she reinforced those expectations. I think a lot of times if we set an expectation, we get a little lazy on the reinforcement of it um, because we think, okay, one and done. I told you, you should do it. And what we are really doing, what I love about your story is that we teach people how to treat us. And so if we don't reinforce the expectation, we're actually teaching them that it's okay to not, to not do it. So I love the fact that she did that and she reinforced it and it, I bet it changed her life. Yeah. She grabbed back hours in a day, you know? Yeah. What is, uh, do you, this is a, I love the triangle, the villain, the victim, and as you've called me twice now, the hero. Oh, no, uh, no, no, so, don't take it on. <laughs> uh, so, well, help me. Yeah, me and my friend. Uh, so as, as you also mentioned moving out of the triangle, mm -hmm. so what is life on the other side of the triangle? Is there, is there a metaphor there as well? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I probably sometimes um, the the way I work is um, in the moment, the metaphors come to me. So I'm not sure I'm going to find one for you right now. Um, I do know that life on the other side of it is that you're clear, that you set boundaries, that you make requests, that you are coaching people to their own problem solving ability, that you are um, dis disengaging from having to fix the problems and allowing people the solution, the, the opportunity to find their own solutions. So I think um, the, there's really probably not a metaphor, but a state of being, which again, I'm going to go back to your book, because if you don't mind me plugging your book again, because I'm telling you, I'm looking into the clarity field guide and the questions that you're asking, the questions that you're asking, do the work that I want people to do coming out of the triangle, which mm -hmm. is to get clear and get powerful and get impactful and do it in a kind and human way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You you um you just used words that made me remind you you've almost got a practical methodology in the business space to kind of the Brene Brown spirit of of unclear is unkind, right? Like so yeah. this that's what I just heard you say. You know, we've got to bring the clarity or else we're just being unkind because it's gonna go bad. Well, I got I'm gonna give you a confession here. You know, we all in, in parts of our lives have imposter syndrome. Sure. So I started teaching this a long time ago when Brene started doing her research. And then when she came out, The Gifts of Imperfection, a beautiful book that she wrote early on, and then all of her books um, around leadership, Daring to Lead and the other books. And um, 
as I read them and loved them and totally aligned with them, the biggest case of imposter syndrome just mm. enveloped me because here's this magnificent being sharing these things that I believe in and that I teach. And I'm like, but I'm just me. So that's yeah. so talk about having to work my own way out of out of the drama triangle. Sure. Thank you, Brene Brown. Thank you for being my gift. <laughs> yeah, a gift. And, um, you know, just to reflect back to you, you know, there's Brene's got a great personality energy, but she's a researcher. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a very different thing to be an activator, to get your hands dirty, to go into a company, to, you know, force those tough conversations, move people out of what they've been comfortable hiding behind. Um, so kudos to you. No reason to, to feel that. So I want to bring attention to what you just did. And thank you that I felt that I received it. It's inside of me and, and it fills me up. So at the end of, of my book and at the end of the process that I do with my people, we actually explore and we do an entire several hours to a day on the gift of appreciation appreciation and encouragement and really, really putting the fertilizer in the gardens in a very sincere and specific way. So you just didn't say, oh, you do a good job going into companies. You gave me very specific reasons why I might have impact in a company. And I so appreciate that. And so you reflected what I would be teaching my leaders, which is when you're offering appreciation and do it liberally and do it often. It has to be, it has to be what Michael Olasso says, TSP. Yes. Truthful, since specific, specific and positive. Yes. Yeah, so, but the specific thing is actually what I really want to bring attention to is the specificity of the appreciation is actually what creates um, the engagement to want to stay in the relationship and stay in the performance. Yeah. When it's not specific, I mean, we all will internalize it and interpret it differently where it become vague or ambiguous or like, I'm not sure I got anything out of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So thank you, Bench. Oh, uh, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> it, it was from it was sincere. Yeah. What 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 should our listeners expect after they read your book? What what should they expect? What are they going to be after reading the book empowered to do? They I believe the empowerment that will come out of the book first of all comes from self-assessment and self-awareness. We often want to put what we think is wrong or needs to change on the team or on the other. And I think this book says, um, take a good look in the mirror, not from a place where you're going to pull yourself down or criticize yourself, but from a place where you can lift yourself up. So um, what you will get is a peek into where you're strong and where you have opportunities and next steps for you. Um, uh, I think that's it. It's like the self-assessment and what action are you willing to take in order to be the humanized leader that you were put here on earth to be? Yeah. I feel like, you know, when we launched Clarity Field Guide, um, I almost threw it out as a challenge for people. Like if you're ready for this, it's for you. You yeah. know, when the, when the teacher's ready or the student's ready, the teacher appears. Right. Yeah. But it's, there's, there's a challenge inside the cover of this book. So if you're not ready for that, let's just wait till you're ready yeah. i feel like that's true with your book as um we read it as you've talked about it it's like you've either got to be ready to step into this which is stepping into the fullness of the leader that you were made to be but you've got to be ready mm -hmm. is that true 
Uh, you know what? I think so. Um, you're If you read this and you're not 100% ready for aspects of it, you'll still pick up stuff. I mean, you'll get a formula and a framework to offer feedback and you'll get a formula and a framework to listen well. And you'll get great coaching questions if someone is really in a victim place where you can't stand it anymore. Um, you may not get the full body of it. And I'll tell you why, though. Mine is probably not the only book you ought to read. Mm. I mean, this is this is a, this is a lifelong series of skills repeated over time that create emotional intelligence and leadership. You all know that. I mean, you both have lived beautiful lives building businesses, and it, with each new adventure comes an additional layer of strength and awareness and ability. So, I mean, read Jack Canfield's Success Principles. Take a, a t if if Tony Robbins is your cup of tea, take a Tony Robbins um, a seminar do the clarity field guide work. I mean, do the work, you know? Yeah. So, um, so I would say you could prepare yourself for any of our books or any of our materials, read Brene Brown and live and love Brene Brown, Brene Brown and just expose yourself. You know, yeah. I think to me, the leader with the closed mind is the one um, who's going to, they'll struggle the most, but the biggest victory is when that closed mind actually opens up. And I've seen it over and over and over again. It's it's a joyful thing to watch. All right. So as we wrap up, two mm -hmm. things come to mind. Um, one is I just absolutely love books that give you tools. And your book does that. You just mentioned a few of them. So even if you're not a reader, you can cheat, get the book, use the tools, learn the tools. They're going to be helpful. The second thing, I just want to say this to you on air. I hope hundred companies hire you after this interview because uh these companies need more mary pat knight and the transformation that comes through that so tractionville all of the info for mary pat knight uh her book her company will be in the show notes as we wrap up i would love to give you the platform what's one piece of wisdom encouragement what's on your heart you can you, the audience is yours tractionville is yours what's one thing you would want them to know well, I want, I'm going to read from the back of my book because this is actually the credo. This is the credo, and I believe humanized leadership is a movement. Maybe we're going to call it something different in the future, but it is a movement, and it is needed now. So with your permission, the world needs your leadership. More importantly, the world needs your humanized leadership. You must create trust. You must clearly communicate. You must coach powerfully and customize every step of the way to the various types of people that you are privileged to lead. This leader, the humanized leader, is ever aware that other humans execute the processes which drive the profits, and people are always at the center. The world needs your leadership, and the world needs it now. Tractionville, thanks for spending some time with you. We'll see you next week. 